Some of you are uh, wondering about the guest guitar player. And uh, you've been looking all morning and going, wait, what? It was funny, we were at rehearsal the other night and Tyler's wearing a hat and he takes his hat off. We're all like, who is that? What's going on? But it's my understanding this is to show allegiance and support to a friend uh, who's going through a tough time physically. And, and so uh, that's cool with you, Tyler. And we'll get used to it. We promise. We will. We will. So I'm going to have uh, Cameron and Jesse Majerus join me up here right now. And this is uh, a day we've looked forward to for a, a long time. Cameron and Jesse, um, a while back, decided to get involved in fostering some kids. And fostering led to adopting some kids. And so uh, I thought that for our... Yeah, go ahead and do that. Come on up. <clears throat> Rather than just going ahead and doing a, a, a dedication, I, I wanted a chance to have a conversation. Because um, their family went from what most people would view to be fairly comfortable. Mom, dad, one child. One child not too awful many ways, years away from moving out and being on his own. And, and then they say, hey, let's make room for more. So uh, we just wanted to do a sanity check this morning and find out, <laughs> what were you thinking? But no, seriously... Um, what prompted this? What prompted the desire in your heart to even, you know, bring other kids, new kids, into your family? Oh, uh, God. <laughs> God. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> um, we always wanted to have a really big family, and um, we thought we would just have lots and lots of babies. But mm -hmm. God decided that he had a different way we were going to grow our family. So that's what led us to adopting. Awesome. Awesome. How long ago did, they, did, did uh, the kids come to your house? Uh, they've been here a little bit over a year. You can't even see. Uh, they came here December, year and a half ago. Okay, year, so and, a half. year and a half. And, and you've, you've been through, oh, she's fine. This is great. Um, you've been through fostering. You've been through the, you know, the ups and downs of it, really. Waiting. Are the kids coming to our house? Oh, no, they're not. All that. This has been, this has had pieces of roller coaster to it, right? Oh, it's been a huge roller coaster for sure. Mm -hmm. um, we, it's been, it's a lot of waiting. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of unknown, and it's a lot of people saying, "Oh, so what's going on? Do mm -hmm. you think?" And you're just like, "I have no idea. I know as much as you do right now." Yeah. Um, so it's been a lot of just trusting, and um, I think the biggest thing that we've learned through all this is that you never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's also a lot of prayer yeah. and a lot of. Uh, it's not in your hands. Yeah. Your, your job is to take care of the kids. That's it. Everybody else decides what, your, what the, the fate of those kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Sophie. Um, <laughs> what, what their fate is. And all you can do is just love on those kids. Yeah. Sophie told me this morning, I have a nice shirt on. I was like, this kid, she's a sweetie. You're great. You are fun. Um, so... Isabel came to your house first. She did. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I mean, I remember one of her first Sundays here. This, mm -hmm. I mean, this infectious smile, and she's just like, wow, she brings you into her life in such a, an amazing way. Absolutely. How, how, is, how has she taught you more about God? <sighs> it's hard to even say into words for everybody to hear. Um, 
she hasn't had a good start. Mm-hmm. And um, she doesn't let that hold her back. She is an awesome little girl. She just, yeah. I think she's just showed us what it is to persevere. Mm-hmm. And um, her name actually means God's promise. And yeah. when I looked up her name, when we were thinking about getting her, and I was just like, this is God's promise fulfilled for us. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi again. <laughs> and then there's Sophie. She came second. And the way you describe her is she is one tough cookie. And I guess we're learning true. that right now. <laughs> Say hi. Say hi, everybody. Nope. Oh. She doesn't do anything you ask her to do. <laughs> uh, she does whatever she thinks is the best thing to do. Uh, right? Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> um, well, yeah, when she came to us, she couldn't say one word. She, uh, she and that's was, amazing because she's a talking maniac. She is. And really well, great Jesse work. decided that she needed speech lessons, and this is where it <laughs> ends up, and she hasn't stopped talking since. Yeah, wow. So for you, Cameron, um, you've, you've been the father of a boy for years, and now you have two girls in your family. How has that grown you as a dad, as a man, as a father? Um, I mean, I'm a lot more protective. Uh-huh. Uh, Isn't it amazing like, the way that works? Yeah. Why with, do we not think our boys need protecting? Right. But I mean, with Harry, comes, I'm like, back he off, comes, man. He, Harry comes in bleeding and everything. I'm like, you're fine. Just rub some dirt on <laughs> the, the girls come in, they're bleeding. I'm like, oh, poor Sophie, <laughs> poor Izzy, come here. And I see the boys give me dirty looks, but they'll get over it. <laughs> and then came Sergio. Yeah. Then came Sergio, our little man. He couldn't have come. I mean, we couldn't ask for more because um, he's only two years younger than Harry. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been Harry's due. And I think Harry was probably praying really hard for a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll have one more kid. And we got Izzy. And that was great. Mm-hmm. And then I think Harry thought, nope. I need a lot of brothers and sisters. Thank you. So, um, yeah, we got Sergio. And Sergio, he lights up the room. You can see from here his, his infectious smile. And uh, he wasn't so sure that uh, we should be his mom and dad. It's my yeah. turn to talk. Um, but I think he's starting to come around. I think he's pretty happy where he's at now. Yeah. The thing that's amazing, so you bring these kids into your life. And, um, and then on top of that, you know, like you're in charge of, Caring for kids around here, our younger kids. You work with our big kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be easy, I think, at this point for you guys to say, we have enough of our own kids, <laughs> and yet you're just giving so much of yourself and your love to really all of the kids of our church. And we, I mean, our appreciation for that, we're just so overwhelmed. We're so overwhelmed by the way you love. So, just... I suspect there may be one or two other people that along the way have thought about this whole idea of fostering and whatever. Maybe, you know, I don't know, some advice, some input, something in your mind about the process. What, what would you say? Maybe one or two things. Um, I think it's important to know that our story, this uh, adopting the first kids that come to your home, is not what happens usually. Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely God's hand in our life and his, his design for our family. Um, and every family that fosters is not going to get to adopt the first set of kids that comes through their home. Yeah. So I just think it's important to have realistic expectations. 
um, and not see our story and say, hey, yeah, we're going to get a bunch of kids right off mm-hmm. the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think um, that you you need to um, just be be ready to 100% trust God all the time because you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot of um, just realizing where these kids came from. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have, per se, normal lives before they came into the system, and they need that much more love. They need that much more prayer. They need that much more work than as your biological children may need. And you may only have them for a short period of time, but it's it can make such a huge difference on them if you have them for a day, if you have them for a month, if you have them for a year. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've said it. You've just set a beautiful example for all of us of the idea of, you know, really making room for more. I know, I know your house, you know, you're not dealing with a 32,000 square foot house. Your house not yet. Yeah, your, house isn't, your house isn't really big and you said, we're going to find a way to squeeze everybody in here and, and, make, and make these people part of our life. So we're going to bring the rest of the gang up right now. Come on up and find a seat on the couch. You guys are used to being crowded and tight, so this will work out really great. Harrison's got Isabel's hand. Here comes Sergio. Just go ahead and get a seat up here, and uh, get to see the get to see the whole gang. Have a seat on the couch. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. You don't need them. Isabel, come here. Come here. we go. Did I not tell you you would remember this for a long, long time? What an amazing morning! I mean. We don't always do this dedication with the whole family on the couch. And uh, I'm just, you know, we're really, really thrilled at the family that God has made you, a whole gang of Majerises. So what I'd like to do, I'm going to read a verse, and I didn't, I didn't have the version I wanted, so I'm going to be using my, uh, my other Bible here. But um, how can we not help but read this verse today? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and God chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then I love this part. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Sergio, Isabel, Sophie, your mom and dad wanted to do this. You are wanted. You are chosen. You are loved. And, Harrison, (laughs) you are wanted. You are chosen. You are loved. What a lucky guy. Go from one to three that fast. I, four, I mean, one, it's just one to four so fast. I, I was an oldest brother. I know what that's like, the good and, yeah, sometimes the bad, admittedly. You get to be law and order, okay? But in the process of being law and order, would you remember to be kind? Sometimes we older brothers forget to be kind. And, it, and you know, they, they can be torment. So, be kind. 
be kind. And you know what? Through the years, I've seen great kindness in you. You are a kind person. So be kind. Sergio, sitting before church, and I asked if you wanted to do the sermon today. And you said, sure. And, you know, I don't know what it is about you. You know, last year, riding around with you on the golf cart, what I see in you is a person that has tremendous compassion. You care about people. You really do. You have a, you have a fierce loyalty. And I really believe God is growing something beautiful in you. And I'll tell you what, I look forward to the day that I'm sitting out there and you're standing up here preaching a sermon. Because I suspect God has done all of this to do something amazing and special in you, through you, and for you. So I'll never forget, you are chosen and you are loved. All right? You're a good man. <clears throat> Isabel, Isabel, Isabel. <laughs> Here's what I remember about you. The very first time I saw you, you showed me what's inside of here. Go ahead. Give me a big smile. That's a huge smile. You have a smile that tells people, I love you. I want you. I want to be your friend. I just want to know you. And the way you are invites people in. It makes them feel like they're really, really wanted and loved. You keep being that, okay? Keep being that for everybody you know. So... About all I know about you is that you give great clothing advice. You are amazing with that. You've been a lot of fun. It's fun to watch you toddle and waddle around church. It's been fun to hear words come out of you that were hiding inside that you didn't know how to say. And wow, so you can do shy. It's amazing. It's amazing. But you are a greatly loved child. Never forget that. You are loved and you are chosen. So... Sergio, may the Lord bless and keep you. Make his face to shine on you and give you peace. Move your heart to a place that you will want a relationship with God, your Father in heaven, always and forever. Isabel, the same for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and give you peace and always show you a huge smile. And move your heart more and more every day toward a relationship with him. Isabel. All right, Sophie. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Yeah. Make his face shine on you and give you peace and give you a heart for God. May he take that intensity that you have inside and use it in beautiful ways for himself. <clears throat> Harrison, big brother to big brother, oldest brother to big oldest brother. I know you've been dedicated and all in the past. But you need a new dedication. Okay. Your, your vocation has changed from being the only favorite to having to share. And what we say around here is sharing is good. Sharing is good. So God bless you as a big brother. All right? You're a good man. Jesse and Cameron, you have decided to take on a, a huge task, a huge role. And uh, I know the lights are out and it's kind of dim, but all these people are here to support you and love you in every way they can. And one of the ways that they've decided to support and love you is to give you a, a significant gift. Um, give it to you later. 
but to just help you along the way in whatever way you want. Maybe it's getting more oatmeal in the cupboard. Maybe it's a family vacation because I suspect these kids have never been on that kind of vacation. But we wanted to do something. <laughs> Sorry I blew it. <laughs> You're in trouble now. <laughs> but um, but we, wanted, we wanted to do something to just say we, we absolutely support you every step of the way. So let me pray for all of you. Father God in heaven, you've chosen us, you've loved us, you've adopted us. We are your own. And Cameron and Jesse have chosen to love, to bring into their family through, through natural means as well as through the means of adoption, children, to know you, to love you, to reflect your image. I pray that you will help them to grow quickly as parents. <laughs> Go from one to four so fast. Patience is always needed. Lots of love, kindness, knowing the lines. God, I pray that you will grow them more and more every day and that they will be a beautiful living testimony of your goodness and your beauty. I thank you so much for the way that you move their hearts to move into the lives of these family, these kids, and, and to call them their own. Thank you for that kind of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Why don't you give them one of these? We'll let you guys head on out. Now, we don't normally do this, but we're actually going to be doing the dedication in the second service as well. Just, uh, just an incredibly moving and meaningful day. Uh, as we transition now, I thought it would be good to just take a moment to pay attention to what goes on in all of our houses all the time as we have the chance to sit around the kitchen table and, and just eat and share. So why don't you watch this video? The table is where life happens. It's where imagination runs wild. Where lessons are learned. And wonders are built. The table is where time can stop. Where wounds are comforted. And freedom begins. where we find peace and we laugh till it hurts the table is where we gather with family new and old to share stories to nourish our bodies to enrich our souls The table is where we give thanks and where we remember what great gifts we have been given. All right, so we're going to do something a little bit different today. It's been so gloomy. It's been so dreary. And so many of you have just been moping and drooping around. We're going to turn on every light in the room, and I'm opening the shades. And we're going to get some light therapy today. We need all we can get. Look what God did. 
the sun is semi-blue. Woo! Yay! Oh, we could use that, can't we? It's amazing to think that so much of the last couple of, uh, the last couple of moments of Jesus' life on earth were spent around a table. It was about the table, whether it was the table in Emmaus where he broke bread and, and they said, oh, it's Jesus, or, or the table around the fire where he had that fish and, and called Peter back to himself, the table where he says to his disciples, I am the Lord, or the table where he says to Thomas, hey, check out the holes in my hands. The table was so important, and, and it's sad what's happening in our own society with the table. We tend to avoid the table we don't have those times at the table anymore. We need those times at the table. The bread of life is shared at the table. Often when the Apostle Paul is wrapping up one of his letters, he closes with what might be seen as a, a tick list, you know, this rapid-fire series of words and phrases, instructions, commands, imperatives, do this, do that, do the other thing. Much like a mom and dad dropping their kid off at college for the first time, I can speak to this. Make sure to go to class um, you know where the laundry detergent is, right? Deodorant. Please, don't forget deodorant. We want friends. Remember to write, post, text, whatever. To, to the one receiving this list, I promise you, it always feels like nagging. But to the one sending the list, it is just a loving reminder, a way of saying, I want you to be the very best version of yourself. I want to see something beautiful grow in you. One such list is found toward the end of the book of Romans. It's found in Romans chapter 12. Paul is talking about relationships, and he writes things like this. Love sincerely. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor each other. Share with each other. And then he writes these two words. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Hospitality is a word loaded with so much meaning. I cannot, I cannot speak about it today without taking some time to define it because we all come from different places when it comes to hospitality. For some people, John Beaker, um, hospitality is all about food. Food, 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 right? That's hospitality. For others, it's a, a place to stay. We'll keep the light on for you. For some here, you're in the hospitality industry and so your mind immediately wanders to work. Others just think of welcoming environments and, and people along the way that have, that have shared deeply with them. So let's look at a few verses that kind of sort out a definition. In 1 Timothy 3.2, as well as Titus 1.8, Paul inserts the word hospitality as a word to describe what a church overseer is supposed to have as a character quality, the kind of person they're supposed to be. In a list that includes things like be above reproach, faithful to your wife, be self-controlled and respectable, be able to teach. And he says, by the way, be hospitable, be a person who shows hospitality. And he does the same thing in Titus. This tells me that hospitality is incredibly important. It's not a small thing. He sees it as an important character trait of a church leader. 1 Peter uh, 1.9, again, doesn't necessarily define hospitality, but Peter informs us of the spirit in which it's to be offered. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. How many times have you been ready to invite someone over to the house and you're like, oh, why did we do this tonight? Ah, cleaning. Well, really, do we have to get dust balls out from under the bed? They're not going to look there, Kim. You know, I mean... We grumble, and, and, and he says, no, 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 offer hospitality with a spirit of generosity without grumbling. How about Hebrews 13, 2? This is one of the benefits. Uh, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing it. 
and you're thinking through your guest list and saying, nah, they haven't been angels. But nonetheless, the privilege, and, and you know, part of what he does here, he broadens the audience. Up until now, we've heard, be hospitable to one another. But now he says, be hospitable to strangers, to people you don't even know. Be hospitable to everybody you can. Other verses, such as Matthew 10.10. Matthew 25, 38, and Luke 10, 7 indicate that hospitality involves sharing your home with someone, sharing a dinner table with someone, sharing clothing and food with others. These are all good hospitality practices. I want to simplify the definition a little bit. Hospitality happens when we do all we can to make another person feel like they've found home. I'm home. I'm home. I am welcomed, I am wanted, I am loved. It is, a, a well, it is welcoming a person into our lives, willing to share our time, our resources, and ourselves with them. So they get that sense of, wow, I am wanted, I am valued, I am appreciated. For the past two years, I've been involved in a program at a place called The Springs. It's near Oldenburg, Indiana. Don't know where that is? It's in Indiana. And so, um, beautiful place. And it's run by, by a couple that I've known about for a long, long time. Their names are Dick and Sybil Towner. Dick's name may be familiar to some of you. He, he designed a program that came through Willow Creek Community Church called Good Sense a financial program that a lot of people did back when Larry Burkett was popular and whatever. And, and Sybil, through the years, has had ministries in, in children's ministries and all kinds of ministries throughout the, throughout the church. Amazing, amazing people. And as I've had the chance to be with them, from the moment I entered that place, I thought, wow, I have never seen such a living, breathing example of hospitality in my life, ever. Not to this level. It was insane. You know, when you get to the place, I mean, beautiful, beautiful facility. And the main place that you do all the meeting, greeting, and hanging out is their house. And I'm thinking, if I ran this retreat facility, my house would be way back in the woods and you wouldn't know where it is. And they're like, come on into our table. Come on in. And, and I'm not kidding. From 8 in the morning to 11 at night, we're in their house. And they're running around just serving and doing whatever. It starts with them with the greeting. It's crazy. Sybil, this 75-year-old woman, will walk up to you. And she's got, she's got smiling eyes. I wish I had smiling eyes. Some of you have smiling eyes. My eyes say, get away. But <laughs> smiling eyes. And she puts her hands on your shoulders and she says, Oh, Dennis, I am so glad that you are here. And I, oh, I feel like I'm five again. I feel like I'm in kindergarten. And there's Miss Barkow. And I'm like, oh, you want me. Isn't this great? Her eyes, her eyes look at you, look into you. They don't look beyond you to see what else is going on or a quick glance to a phone. They lock in. You, you feel loved by your eyes. The table. I mean, here we are. We're eating at their table. And these meals will go on for two and three hours. I've never sat so long at a table and enjoyed it. Uh, it's crazy. Listening. Hospitality of listening. That when you're tell- Have you ever been in this, that you're in a group of people and you're starting to tell your story and, and all of a sudden everybody just kind of ducks out and you're like, oh, I thought I was talking. Ugh. It never happened with them. There was never that moment that something more important arose that they just quickly diverted Unreserved sharing of space and heart. 
totally and completely sharing. No off-limits places in their house. I've seen hospitality in its truest form in Dickinson's Towner. It's winsome. It is the essence of goodness. It is magnetic, and it radiates the beauty of God. Now, I need to add one other part of a definition uh, to our definition of hospitality. The word tied to the term hospitality in the Bible is the word practice. Practice hospitality. The better translation of this would be pursue hospitality. Run after it. Go for it. We're supposed to actually pursue it. Go out of your way to connect. Go out of your way to pull in, to be part, to help others feel at home. And I don't want to glaze over that too quickly. That word practice or pursue, it's in Greek called a present imperative. The present in Greek means it's an ongoing activity. It happens and happens and happens. It's not a once and done. It's not a get out the checklist. Whew, I was hospitable this year. Now I'm done. Not that. It's an ongoing activity. We do it again and again and again. And it's also an imperative, which means what? It's a command. Do this. It's not optional. It's not a gift limited to certain people. It's not personality-based. Extroverts, please be hospitable while we any stare at our phone. It's not that at all. God calls us to this. He calls us to be hospitable. And I'm telling you what, in a generation where anonymity is the name of the game, where you can't call anywhere without being, you know, going through hit one for this and three for that and five for that, and ultimately you might possibly talk to a live voice. In, 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 a, in a season when that's the reality of the world, the church of Jesus Christ can so, show such winsomeness and attractiveness, such goodness and beauty by just saying a name, looking at somebody deeply in the eyes, listening to their story, Letting them know they've found home. They've found home. God calls us to this. Now here's what's great. Around Southfield, there are tons of examples that I can point out to say this is what hospitality looks like. And we have these initial visible acts of hospitality. As we walk in the door, Joe or Dave out there just greeting us and opening the door for us while we bring our four kids on into the church. It's amazing. Dora, front and center. Hi, how you doing? That warm greeting and pointing people to where they're going. Al, Mary, Josh, and others checking kids in, making sure that that family feels welcomed. Mike and Eileen passing out folders. Eileen passing out hugs. Mike saying hi. You know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, they're just, and then we have this mighty number of growing cedars, people who, who help you to find your place. But see, hospitality starts long before any of them say hello. Saturday, there's this crew of people that come in here and make sure the place is clean and organized, and it's an inviting environment. It's a place where you want to be. Uh, that's so important. We have a crew of guys every Sunday morning that help you to have a seat. They row it up. They get it going. And it's just amazing that they realize that that's a piece of hospitality, making sure that this place is open and welcome, creating that inviting environment where hospitality happens. Mary Stroman has hospitality written all over her. And some of you know Mary and you think I misspoke. She's hardly this gregarious extrovert, right? But for over a decade, she's been the one that ensures that you're holding in your hand one of the best free cups of coffee at any church within 100 miles, right? 
she and her team make sure that's happening. And I'll tell you what, I don't know what it is about holding coffee, but when we're holding this, our mouths move. We talk. It's like we have our little defensive shield and, you know, we're, we got something going here. We're able to go ahead and have a conversation just because of a cup of coffee. Dana Aubrey is another poster child of hospitality. I promise you, her eyes just popped open. Who, me? Yeah, you. Yeah, you. You see, Dana creates spaces and environments where connecting happens. That whole hallway, she and, she and Sherry were involved in just creating these spaces where you can sit and talk and feel warm and feel embraced. You feel like you're at home. Simply the colors in the place. You can't believe the number of strangers that walk into this place and say, it feels like home. It just feels like home. That, that's part of hospitality, to know how to create that kind of environment. We have people like Terry Lennon and, and Janet Swank that are masters of hospitality. For years, Janet was the person who was known as the lady who knew your name. There are people who came back to this church a third time because Janet remembered their name the second time. And they were stunned that anybody, anybody, anybody remembered their name. Now you think, may think I mentioned Terry because, you know, of the donuts. He's our home-cut guy. And, and believe me, that's very hospitable. But in reality, if you have a conversation with Terry, you know what Terry does? He uses your name. It's crazy. I, he uses it multiple times. In the, I asked him about it recently, and he said, I didn't realize I do that. He just, he uses your name, and you're like, Wow. You know, it's kind of this beginning step of, I feel like I'm known. I feel like I'm really known just by the use of a name. I could go on and on, but I'm hopeful that these examples start to paint a picture. Hospitality is about more than food and friendliness. Hospitable people do their part, whatever their part is, to make everyone feel like they've found home. Sometimes it's a handshake and a warm greeting and opening a door. And sometimes it's just creating an inviting space or cleaning that space or brewing something warm for our hands. And all those are pieces of hospitality. The Bible tells us practice hospitality, pursue hospitality. Now this may seem like a strange way to end a three-part series about basically the vision and future of our church. You're kind of going, wait, you know, did, did you forget what series you're in, Dennis? What's going on? You know, tonight we're gathering together. We're going, to be, we're going to be talking about voting on parking and all these sorts of things. And, and you may look at that and say, how does this fit? Well, to be honest, adding room and creating more parking spaces is really about hospitality. It's about making room for more. It's about making sure that people find a place to find a home. It's about making sure that there is space in God's family, space at Christ's table for anybody who wants to come. True hospitality is so compelling Everything from our greeting rituals to our parting routines, the way we look each other in the eyes, the manner in which we talk to each other with warmth, holding out a hand of friendship, or inviting someone into our circle creates a compelling community. Hospitality is built on, I believe, two irresistible principles, goodness and beauty. Goodness and beauty are two qualities in very short supply these days. Goodness and beauty are the two fundamental aspects of the nature of God. When we are hospitable, goodness and beauty are on display. A warmth is exuded that draws people toward the flame of God's love. So this morning, what I'd like to do in our time remaining is have a, a mini uh, hospitality workshop. Let's just talk about some ways that we can be more hospitable to each other.
ways to get really practical and make this happen. What are a handful of things we can do to create an atmosphere of hospitality, a compelling, loving place where people have that sense of, I finally feel home. These things are not complex. In fact, some of you are going to say, wow, that was almost silly, because you do it so naturally. It's kind of manners 101, but you know what? We need some manners in the 101 stages. Remember the command to pursue hospitality. Go after it. How do we do that in a compelling way? Well, here's the first part. Look up. Look up. Some of you are going, what? No, no that's, that's the point in the sermon. Look up. I heard a quote in recent weeks, and it's really working on me, by an author named Kurt Thompson. Here's what he said. When a baby comes out of the chute, I don't know that that's the medical term, but nonetheless. <clears throat> when the baby comes out of the chute, Their eyes are looking for the eyes of those who are looking for them. When a baby comes out of the chute, their eyes are looking for those eyes who are looking for them. Can you just transfer that a minute right now to real life? How many people never even attempt to engage with their eyes anymore? Eyes down, eyes averted. Because they're used to people not even wanting to look them in the eyes. They've searched and searched and searched for a set of loving eyes. And they haven't seen them. And so they've given up. They've given up even looking. Well, to me, this quote speaks of generosity. We are born scanning the eyes of humanity, looking for someone who's looking for us. But something has happened in our culture And it's been for the better part of my lifetime. People went from people who look up to people who look down or people who look away. I wonder how much of it began with stranger danger. You know, we're always telling our kids, don't talk to strangers and look away from strangers and then all that. And so we started getting programmed to not search the eyes of someone else for goodness. We we averted our eyes because of their potential badness. And so we we got scared and, and pulled away. In the past decade, to be honest, it's been solidified by this thing, right? This, this wonderful little tool. I remember a shift taking place when I used to go to pastor's conferences. You know, we, a break would come and, and all these people would run to the food table and the book table and they'd chatter, 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 talk, talk, talk. And now instead, everybody runs on out. First thing they do, they engage with their eyes or their ear. They get on this thing, this nice little safety piece that helps them to avoid engagement by pretending to be engaged with something else. When a baby comes out of the chute, their eyes are looking for those eyes who are looking for them. That does not stop when we are no longer babies. In fact, I wonder if it doesn't intensify. If we don't look and look and look for someone who's looking for us. When we walk into a room, we look for the eyes looking our eyes, uh, looking our way. Eyes that engage, eyes that say, come over here, or eyes that say, I'm coming to you. We look for those eyes. You see, when I walk into a room and people are sitting doing this, I get the not-so-subtle-but-clear message, leave me alone. Leave me alone. You know, it happens here. Way too often, I'll walk into a space and we're staring at this. And I have to literally say, hey! For the person to remember that they're actually here. Move away from the virtual friend to the real friend. You know what that is? I'm old, so I can say things like this. It's inhospitable. It's inhospitable when humans are around to hang out with our virtual friends. Hang out with the people who are here. 
It's not pursuing hospitality, hospitality that the Bible commands. It's shutting down hospitality. Friends, when we gather, this is Facebook Live. You don't need to get on your phone to find out what's happening in the world. Latest tweet. Now, latest tantrum on Facebook. Latest text. You don't need to. This is Facebook Live. So live it. Let's live it when we're together. Manners 101. Eyes up. Look up. Humans are present. Engage with them. Eyes scanning to the room to see if they're being seen. This is one area I want Southfield to be incredibly unique. When I am with the people of God, I will put away my dumb phone. I want to be with the people of God. I want to engage the people of God. I want to pursue hospitality. Look up. Look up. The second look around. We need to look around. Why don't you for a second? It's light today. Look around. You're going to look around and go, I didn't know they came to our church. (laughs) When did that happen? Cool. Yeah, look around. Look around. For most people, when they arrive at Southfield, we look around the room for someone we know, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what church is about, right? It's about our friendships. It's about our relationships. And so we look around for people we know. But I wonder if we've ever scanned the room for a person we don't know or for a person we don't know yet. Further, I wonder if we've scanned the room to see who's not connected, who's sitting alone, who, who hasn't found someone with whom to talk. We have a growing population of Southfielders, and this piece is a good thing. We have a growing population of Southfielders who do not come with a spouse or with a child. They come alone. They come alone. You see, they slip in by themselves. When we walk in with kids, when we walk in with the spouse, we end up with these natural connecting points. You've got to walk in, drop off your kid. You're getting greeted at the check-in station. You're talking to the person you're dropping off. I mean, you've already had these, this handful of connections before you've even entered this room. When you're walking in alone, it is quite easy to just weave your way through the crowd, come sit, and never, ever, ever be touched. And you know what? That, that, would, just, that would be an incredibly horrible thing if a person were able to walk in and walk out of this place without a meaningful touch. For that to happen on a regular basis is a lack of hospitality on our parts. We need to look around. So what can we do? Well, again, Manners 101. Open the circle. Open the circle. Sometimes it's the circle of the two or three of us that are standing out here in the gathering space talking. And we're talking face-to-face like this, sending the clear message, this circle is closed. Open the circle. Stand in such a way that you can actually invite someone in. Some of you, you know, you love hanging with your besties. Besties are great, but why not look at the way that we might open the circle to other potential besties instead of closed circle, just us. You know, so we open the circle and here's what happens. Uh, I open the circle, I see someone, I say, hey, come on over. And, you know, names and Dennis, okay, so, so they walk on over and I'm like, I bring them in because I want to bring them in the circle and, and, I, and now it's time for introductions and I'm like, you know, well, uh, this guy, uh, this, uh, here's a nice trick. Hey, do you two know each other? No. More often than not, people will go, I'm Dennis, well, I'm Jim Bob. Great, wonderful, <clears throat> neat. If they don't do that, subtle hint. Why don't you tell each other your names? And you get, and while they're doing it, listen really hard. Listen. Names are so important. You are given a name for a reason. And when it is used, it's like a song. It's beautiful. 
It's beautiful. Now, I, I forget names. There are lots of you. you. We have this great disadvantage. Dennis. Everybody knows that name, right? From the second week, you know that name. There are more of you than me. And I'm trying to figure out these names and learn these names. And sometimes, you know what you just got to say? I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. Will you mind telling me again? You know, I mean, just do it. Just go for it. Because names are so, nothing worse than being here for three years and you're still saying, hey, bud. Because you don't know the name. We need to be a place that knows the names. Again, Manners 101, catch the name. Use it when you can. It's the most foundational element of knowing and being known, of loving and being loved, of celebrating and being celebrated. Eyes up, off the ground, off the device, and on people. Look around. Who can I invite into the circle? Let me give you the third, and that is this. Look out. Look out. Today we're taking a big step as a church body. We're asking who's not at the table yet and how can we go about creating a space for them. Jason Aubrey shared an experience with me recently that for him was eye-opening. There was a Sunday morning that the Aubreys weren't scheduled to be on worship and so they pulled up at normal people time. You see, worship team people time is two hours before the service. Normal people time is two minutes after the service starts. So they pulled up at normal people time, and you know what they found? There was nowhere for them to park. And they're kind of like, whoa, look at this, look at this. Now, they knew that, obviously. But to experience it is a different thing than just knowing it. Do you know what a full lot says to someone? It says there's something great going on in that place, and there isn't a space for me. And we want to create a space for others. So looking out is making sure that people have a space at the table. Tonight we're going to be voting on adding at least 60 parking spots, getting more spaces out there so people don't have to pull onto the grass or pull out and say, we'll go somewhere else. There is no room for us. In the information meetings, we've been sharing this simple formula. Your church's numerical growth is limited by which of these following three things is the smallest, your parking, your worship space, or your children's space. The the smallest of those three is going to be the thing that determines whether or not it is perceived that there are seats at the table. Resolving parking will let people know, out there, there's a space at the table for them, but it's going to create new challenges. So we're looking at children's space. Children's space on Sunday morning, student space on Sunday night and Wednesday night, and play space for families to connect and grow in our growing church family by adding a family life center. I've already shared lots of details for you, and you were given a sheet of details as you walked in today, so you know what's going on. We want to create this space so for family life, so a seat is available. Talked about the fact that the project's going to cost $1.364 million. That, you, know, you say, I want a brick, they say, that'll be a million dollars. That's just the way it works these days. To do that, two things need to happen. One, we just need to be faithful in our current giving. Our our regular folder has the the number. This is is our budget. We need to be faithful to that. And then by next spring, we're looking at raising at least $250,000 over and above that to make this happen. So it's one thing to have this wish dream. We'd love to have these things. It's another thing to say, and if I say yes to this, I'm putting my shoulder behind this. I want to add one more thing. I said there are three things that constrain growth. Uh, space in the parking, space in children, and then space in here. You look around the room today and you think, yeah, we could, we could squeeze in a few more, maybe. There does come a point that a new person walks in and says, too tight. Ooh. And so one of the space things we've been looking at is adding another worship gathering option. And we're studying that and praying about that to be able to maybe add a new worship option in the fall. 
all kinds of, I mean, it could be a Sunday morning, it could be a Saturday night, it could be a weeknight, we, we don't know yet. But we're looking at the possibility of adding that in order to make sure there's more space. That's not a cost in treasure, it's a cost in time and talent. Another worship gathering means we need more worship leaders, more musicians, more media personnel, more greeters, more seeders, more childcare workers, more coffee brewers, more communion prayer prayers. It, it means opportunities for people to get involved in serving. So we'll talk in the months ahead about and get your input and participation on that. Pursuing hospitality means looking out. We scan the harvest field and look for people who are not here yet, people who need a seat at the table, people who want a seat at the table. When a baby comes out of the chute, their eyes are looking for the eyes of those who are looking for them. We are born scanning the eyes of humanity, looking for someone who's looking for us. What message do we send with our eyes? As individuals as and as a church, what message do we send with our eyes? Do our eyes look up and engage? Or do they look down and shut out? Do our eyes look around to include? Or do they ignore and push away? Do our eyes look out to see who is not here yet? Or do they look inward to keep a well-formed clique secure and uninfiltrated? Practice hospitality. It's a biblical command. In doing so, the goodness of God will shine through and the beauty of God will be on display. We will be a compelling community drawing people to take a seat in the open chair, a space made and created just for them. Father God in heaven, your eyes scan the earth and they lock gaze on us. You look deeply into our eyes. No distraction. You call us to yourself. You call us home. Let us be the reflection of your character. Beauty and goodness on display. A place where those scanning eyes find eyes that are looking for them, a place where a name is known, a place where a person says, I am truly loved, and I love loving others. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, we run a little long today, but you can handle it, right? Good day. You don't want it to end. I know I don't. So our servers are going to prepare to come and collect the offering. Uh, you don't have a card to worry about today. We wanted you to just have that sheet to be able to um, look at that. So they're coming to collect the offering. Brian's coming up to actually join me on the, on the comfy couch. Woo! Brian's been gone a little bit here. He was in Florida for a friend's wedding, friend that he's known since junior high, baseball friend. He made that grand Florida mistake of not exactly lathering up the suntan lotion properly. So I've been peeling my arm over here. He, he Instagrammed me, and it was hard to tell if he was not wearing an Illinois shirt. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was quite something. But anyway, nice to have you back, Lizard Boy. You doing all right? I sure am. Good, good, good. So, you know, we're talking about adding this space. Clearly, in part, that's for you guys. Yeah. How's that going to impact students? Oh, in such an amazing way. And, I mean, every time we talk about building, uh, all of our leaders' eyes light up because I don't think the students really realize yet just what that means, uh, having an indestructible space where every time we throw a ball, we're not, like, 
panicking about lights breaking or things coming down or, you know, we've, I think we've broken the cross over by the, the pens over there like six or seven times. So if you go look, it's like glued together in nine different spots. Actually, this is a replacement metal. Oh, it's, a new... it's a metal cross. Oh, you so cannot break just go this. Through the wall. This one's quite right, indestructible. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, just having that indestructible space where we can come and just be, uh, because it is so important to, you know, when you're going through school, when you're going through uh, tough stuff in life, it's, it's important to just have a space where you can come and just just be and do what kind of what you want to do, and having that freedom uh, is it's going to be unbelievable for us. Because again, we love messy games, and uh, well, this room isn't really conducive to too messy. So. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we're looking forward to tonight. So we're meeting tonight at six. While you're actually having fun and making noise in here, your group is going on just like normal, and yeah. Wednesday nights just like normal. Yep. Yeah, Good. revival will still be here, even though there is a meeting. We'll find a way to to get it done. So. Be here, high schoolers. All right. So for the rest of you, uh, you know, obviously, if you've gone through the formal process of being a member, we need you here in order to say, yeah, I'm in. If you're not a member, we still love having you part of this. And one of the things we did when we built the building, actually, was ask people who are not members to go ahead and express their opinion, too, through a vote. So uh, because we realize we're, we're all in on this. And membership is kind of this, I don't know, it's kind of this... Uh, I don't even know what to say about it. You have to have it in order for the state to identify this is your organization, right? But in reality, we are a body. We are a body. And we want to know what the body thinks and what the body has to say. So I've kept you a long time. But here's the thing. There's this video I've been wanting to show for about two years. And it only goes about 35 minutes. So we'll be fine. <laughs> but no. Uh, you just, you got to see this. Because I think it, it speaks so much to... Um, to hospitality. It speaks so much to huge next steps. It speaks so much to us being a body together and just being passionate about the gospel. So um, in my mind, the lights were off and it was dim, but we're going to leave the lights on. Don't look at us, even though he's in glowing orange. Let's, let's watch. Learn. What may come? What may come if we live the gospel together? What may come if, unsatisfied with polite conversation, with controlled encounters, with keeping quiet, we risk stepping into our intended adventure and hasten fleet-footed into the bright white of lives as they are made to be lived? What may come if we endeavor together to resemble Christ? Believing in the value of others in such a way that elevates their comfort, their joy, their hopes, and their dreams above our own. Forsaking the things we are told should matter to us. Laying down our rights, sacrificing our positions, giving up our means to discover new ends. Risking all for the sake of the gospel. Doing this for the sake of the gospel. Unified for the sake of the gospel. What may come if together we step boldly into the staggering idea that many can be one because one died for many? Will others stare in wide-eyed wonder, compelled by the love that consumes us, the gospel that unites us, the spirit who defines us? What may come if we trade a common kind of community 
for an uncommon unity. And with hands clasped tight, we approach the edge of the cliff of God's unknown. And step off together. Stand with me. There are too many quotable quotes in there to quote. So all I'll say is for the sake of the gospel, let's jump. Let's jump. Let's jump in together. In whatever way God is calling us to jump, let's jump in. All in on this thing. All in on it. It's for the sake of the gospel. Now, God in heaven, as we leave this place, we take with us the light and love of Jesus into a lost and broken world. And we share the gospel sometimes with their lips, but so often with our eyes. Give us great eyes this week, eyes of compassion, eyes that connect, eyes that care, eyes that stay locked in on the conversation, eyes that tell the other person, your soul matters, eyes that say, I know you've been scanning the world for someone who looks. I'm looking. And in the process, God is looking as well. Give us the eyes of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Enjoy your week. See you tonight at 6.